hope. True hope. Second Corinthians 5.21. Please read with me and then we will pray. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, give us ears to hear. Overwhelm us with this incredible truth. Father, make it clear in our hearts and our minds and our souls. Father, make it so that we can stand full weight upon the amazement of your plan given unto us by this precious gift of Jesus Christ. In Christ's name, amen. I've been going through this because it's, it's, it's crucial uh, to Christianity. It is crucial to our hope. We have just come out that the essence of ministry is the message of reconciliation. And one of the things that I have witnessed in my life in ministry and in, involved in the evangelical community is that this truth here in 21 is either at best misunderstood, um, at worst, people don't even know what it means. Uh, and, uh, and it's a tragedy. We've been looking at this verse, and it started out with, He made Him. So we can see who the giver is. The giver is God the Father. So when you think about salvation... The gospel, the message of reconciliation, however you lay that out, it's from God. It isn't man's invention. It isn't man came up with a brilliant idea. It is biblical to understand that man has no ability. And so God understanding the inability of humanity says, I've made a plan. All right, and then he did it in the gift. The gift is him. And two weeks ago, we looked at this, that the gift had to be one who knew no sin. All right, but to forgive man's sin, you must be a man. All right, but to be used to redeem man, you must be absolutely sinless. Well, I don't know about you, but that just kind of narrows the field. Okay, it's got to be 100% man and 100% sinless. No problem. <laughs> okay, and, and so we also understand it has to be God. There is only one who is sinless. Who is it? God. In Him there is no sin. Right? First John puts it, and if you go back to the original text, you'll see First John lays it out and says, there's no ability to sin. Okay? And, and we got to think about this, all right? I want you to think about this. I'm going to make you stretch your, your processes today. Okay? Because I move into this next phrase. He who knew no sin. All right? That's the first half of the gift. Okay? To be sin on our behalf, or was made sin, depending on your translation. Okay, now listen. <laughs> I have heard a lot of things about this. 
and 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 some of them it took every ounce of divine power to keep me from whooping somebody because some people you're just i sometimes we're just too smart for our own good all right listen this is not Christ became a sinner all right it is not that Christ committed sin it is not that Christ broke God's law here I can defend all of those with one simple truth all right there's no body the body that sins is committed to decay show me Christ's body Every time I hear these wonderful, really brilliant people running around in Israel, and they, look, we found a box of bones and they're Jesus. Okay? No, they're not. Why? He was sinless perfection. The body that sin is committed to a body of decay. There's no body. You and I are awaiting our resurrected body. Why? Because this body is decaying. Some of you faster than others. Okay? Sorry. Alright? But it's decaying. Why? Because you still have a sinful nature. Now hang on to that for a second, okay? Um, Again, 1 John is very emphatic. There is no capacity to sin. Okay, do you understand that? I I need you to understand that. It is absolutely impossible for Christ to have sinned. Okay? And I've had people sit down, intelligent people says, well, then that cheapens his grace. And you go, what? Well, if he had no ability to sin, how great was the grace gift if he couldn't have sinned anyway? Yo, dude, do I need to cuff you? You don't understand. If he could sin, he can't be redeemer. Stupid. (laughs) See, I have mercy at times. I mean, I've I've, I've had intelligence. Well, that cheapens his grace. You tell him that when you see him that, well, you couldn't sin, so how great is your grace? Okay, and you like the smell of sulfur. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff that you hear because man is trying to rationalize something he has no capability of. I do not understand sinlessness. I don't understand it. I can tell you what it means. The complete absence of sin. I have no idea what that looks like, tastes like, smells like, touches or sees, looks. I don't know. Everything I've ever known is infected with sin. Everything. It's kind of amazing if you really think about it. So you have sinless God, and yet he was fully man. A.K.A. virgin birth. Okay? Man did not impregnate Mary. God did it. That's why you can have a... Virgin birth. Why? The seed is divine. The mother 
was human. That's where you come up with the term the God-man. Okay? Um, he is not of the line of Adam. The line of Adam is the seed would be of man. All right? I also heard an argument one time, and this one here really, if I'd have been in my home state, I would have been in trouble. Um, but being out of state, I wanted to get back to my home state, and so I restrained myself. God restrained me. Okay? We would all agree, emphatically, God cannot sin. Amen? All right. I hired a guy, an intelligent person. Actually, he had his Ph.D. in theology. <laughs> need I say more? <laughs> he says, well, you just need to understand Young man. I love it when they call me young man. At Calvary, God turned him into a sinner. My response was the same. Really? The idea of God making anyone a sinner is nuts. Okay, do you understand that? God never made a single sinner, let alone His Son, His holy, righteous, perfect Son. I'll make my holy, righteous, perfect Son a sinner. You just sit there and you think, what are you thinking? And then you come back with the same cliche that I come back with. Have you not read? Which I will give to you now. From the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Many of us know this, but there's a phrase here that I think at times we overlook it and we don't really pay that much attention to it or we don't dwell on it. And I want you to think about it. Start Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men. Amen. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Okay, we all know that this Isaiah 53 is Isaiah's prophecy of Messiah. All right? Look what else it says. This is key. Surely, whose griefs did he bear? His? Oh, interesting. Ours. Surely our griefs he himself bore. And... Our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed 
All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. All right? Do you understand what is being said there? He did not die for his own sins. Okay? Remember this. When he was on the cross, it says he gave up his spirit. Do you understand what that means? He ceased himself to live. Why? He couldn't die. Why? There's no sin in him. None. So for him to die, it took his will to do it. Do you understand? He could have literally hung on the cross indefinitely. Indefinitely. That's why it surprised everybody. What do you mean he's already dead? Why? Because he gave up his spirit. Why? He died for ours. Our transgressions. Our iniquities. The Lord... Now, you've got to really get your brain to think outside on this one. The Lord God took the iniquity, the sins of all of us and dumped them on Christ. They were not His. They were mine. They were ours. God treated Christ as if he were a sinner by making him pay the penalty for sin. Even though he's absolutely innocent. Only person who's ever walked the planet, absolutely innocent. He paid the penalty. God treated him as if he was the sinner. And yet, more than even that, that he was treated as a sinner, it was as if he... Christ had sinned all of the sins of all who would ever believe. I don't know about you. That's incredible. I can't really. I I, I just you just what? I can't, I don't know how that is. I listen to people badgering God for new cars, new houses. You know, I need a new job. I need a better job. I need this. I need the IRS to leave me alone. Can I get a tax rebate this year? You know, I hear them. We're all praying for the election. Praying for the election. Praying for the election. You know what? Yeah, probably ought to. Wouldn't hurt. But I can back away from all of the trivia. And say, the sins of every believer was laid full weight upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I, and, and I would ask him for what? What are you going to ask him for? I mean, what more do you want? Every sin you have ever committed, every sin you are committing, and every sin you will ever commit is laid on Christ. And you would ask him for what? A new Mercedes? Well, I don't like Mercedes. 
Go with the vet. But I'm going bigger than that because God, God is a big God. And I want an AC Cobra. <laughs> so I want some help me go see Jesus right away. <laughs> but do you see what I'm trying to? Th- these are the things I listen to people. I listen to people saying, "God, I wish I could get married." Do you not understand that every sin you've ever had has been placed upon him? He paid the penalty in full. And when he said it is finished, he says it's really close to finished. No, it's finished. The penalty has been paid. The sins, our sins, our iniquities were placed on him. All of that sin, which none of it, is his is credited to his account it is as if he committed it therefore he had to pay the penalty and yet he was absolutely innocent okay listen Now, I I want you to get this straight in your heads. All right. It was credited to him. They call it the doctrine of imputation. Okay. It was imputed. It was put into his account. Okay. That is the only sense that Christ was made sin. Okay. If he had been a sinner, we get a decayed Body. Okay. I I mean, I even know people who believe in the swooning theory. You know what the swooning theory is? Uh, That he had such a lack of uh, a loss of blood and they put him in the tomb. And when he's in the tomb, he woke up and said, what am I doing in the tomb? And he rolled the stone out and he hobbled off into the sunset, married Mary Magdalene, and they had kids and they lived happily ever after. Okay. What a goofy story that is. Okay. The problem is, there's still no body. You still got to have, when you have sin, you have a body. You have a decaying body. There's still no body. And let me tell you something. I've been to the Middle East. Um, they've got a monument, a temple, a church, a statue, a, you name it, uh, for everything that ever happened. And it's really cool because you got one there. This is the Catholic version and this is the Greek Orthodox version. So everybody right here. And yeah, you know, you got the, this is Peter's house, that church, and this is Peter's house, that church. Okay, so where's Peter's house? It fell down years ago. Okay, but you see, but I mean, they've got they've got the church of the transfiguration. You name it, we got a church, a statue. I, I like Absalom's pillar myself. I'm I'm kind of lean towards that. Okay, and uh, it's right there on the uh, beyond the uh, eastern wall of the Temple Mount. And uh, that's Jewish fathers have rebellious sons. They take them down there, and smack their heads against it. And says, "Don't be like Absalom." And I'm like, "I want one of those." <laughs> so anyway, that, but do you see what I'm trying to get at, people? If we had his body, I found out. We just I just heard it today that the, the dudes up in uh, is it Turkey? No, it's in. Uh, I think it's, maybe it was Turkey. They, they got John the Baptist's body. Okay, because it's headless. John's, you sure it ain't Paul's. 
Just questioning. Oh, but it dates back to John the Baptist. What, did he have like a name badge? Uh, what, a little bracelet around here? Hi, my name's John. <laughs> I, you know, he just found a headless body, therefore it must be John the Baptist. Well, they used to kind of do that on a regular basis. <laughs> could, anyway, could have been Billy Bob something. Anyway, but these are things that you, you hear and you're sitting there going, yeah, now we're all going to worship it. No, I'm not. I watch all these people cut, kissing the stone where Christ laid. That's just creepy. Okay, because they took a saw and they cut it out of the tomb and they brought it out so they, and they hang a bunch of incense around it and everybody can go up and kiss it. There's these big old long lines to kiss it and I'm like, I am not going to kiss that many people. I do not want my lips on that rock. You know, not unless you got like a bucket of alcohol and scrub that sucker down. But you see him lining up. That's what I mean. What I'm trying to get at here is that if Jesus lived and died a normal human death, we got a church. I mean, if they'll line up to kiss that stone, what are they going to do with the bones? We are a creepy bunch of people. He paid the price. Absolute innocence. The only one who ever was, but all the sins of those who would ever believe were placed on him. And that was how he was made sin. It could not have been a literal sense that he became a quote unquote sinner or the body is given over to decay. And it's not there. This is the doctrine of imputation. Sin was imputed to him. It wasn't because he was sinning. It was the penalty that was due to all sins was placed in his account. Okay. He never sinned. But God put into his account and he charged every sin of humanity to him. All the sinners of all the world I guess an easy way, if you took all of the sinners of all of the world and put them on your credit card and you have to pay the bill. That's what Jesus did. He who knew no sin became sin. The guilt. Now think about this. The guilt of the sins of all who would ever believe God, all who would ever be saved, have been imputed to Christ Jesus' account. Now, now, did you get what I said? A word there I wanted to use specifically. The guilt. Okay? Remember the cry from the cross? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is the guilt. Of the sin of humanity on the Son of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time that God the Son and God the Father had broken communion was when the imputation of our sins were placed on Him. It was as if he were guilty of all of it. Okay, now, at that same moment, okay, now, you've got to get a hold of that. Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani. Okay, at that instant, 
God poured out all of his wrath against all of that sin, against all of those sinners. And it was instantaneous. And Jesus Christ took it all. Do you understand it? He took the sins of those who had not even been born yet. He took the sins of you and I, even those that you haven't committed until Monday morning. Jesus took it all. Jesus experienced the absolute full wrath of God the Father for the sins of those who would believe. He's treated as a sinner. And he was treated as every sinner deserves to be treated. All the fury of just punishment. All the fury that was due all of the sins of humanity, of every sinner. All of that wrath was all put on him on that cross. This person who was absolutely perfectly pure, absolutely perfectly holy, was officially guilty. All right, now I want to show you something, because you saw that in Isaiah. Go over to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 10. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For as many are the works of the law, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Deuteronomy 27, 26. Okay. I want you to think about that for a second. You want to work your way to heaven? To, would you like to achieve your own righteousness? No problem. Work at it. Get going. And all you have to do is abide by the entire law. That's all you got to do. Just go do that. You can literally reconcile yourself to God by remaining in His law and doing His entire law for the entire time of your life. And you will be saved. You have earned your righteousness. But let me tell you something. Once you step into that form, you have only stepped into the wrath of God and His curse. Because if you break any part, you've broken the entire law. And then guess what? You're guilty of the whole thing. So you have entered into the curse of the law. All right? So if you enter into it, works righteousness, that's fine. 
That's fine. But I will warn you, don't break any part of it. Because as soon as you break a part of it, you're guilty of the whole thing. There is the curse of the law. The law says, just do this and you'll be saved. And you know what? There are billions of people on the planet Earth right now who are trying to do that. And I'm sitting there going, but but you broke it already. You broke it when you thought you could do it. You can still, well, I'm going to work at it. You're still going to hell. I remember hearing a preacher preach that says, you might as well send your brains out because you've got eternity to pay for it. You're like, oh, dude, can you preach that? (laughs) You know, get her done because, dude, the bill's coming. You violate one of God's laws, you're damned. Period. And you know what's amazing about it? Jesus said, even if you think it. Oh, gee. I'm not the brightest bulb in the package, but I know what I've thought. You know, on a good day. I remember reading John Bunyan. He said, my most righteous prayer has enough sin in it to damn humanity. (laughs) You're like, well, all right. (laughs) I don't even have to have a righteous prayer. I can get into traffic (laughs) and damn humanity. Cursed is anyone who does not keep all that is written in the book of the law. Paul quoting Deuteronomy. You know what he's trying to tell you? (laughs) If you're human, you're cursed. You're cursed. You know, and I heard a guy one time, uh, he's actually a professor at Denver Sim, and we were sitting and talking, and he's getting on me on my quote-unquote Calvinism. And I was like, well, you know, I don't... I I, I never found in my writings or readings of John Calvin five points, but uh, he did have some five-point sermons, uh, but it wasn't like a tulip. (laughs) Um, And he says, well, what you're saying is, and this is the normal argument, you'll hear this if you take a stand on God's sovereignty, what you're saying is that God predestined some to hell. And I said, no, cursed is anyone who does not keep every part of the law. Well, but you're saying, no, if you can't keep every part of the law, then you are cursed. Okay, one has. His name was Jesus. So what I try to express to this professor was he doesn't condemn anybody to hell. We're already there. He saves some. Do you understand that? Because see, we're looking at it. Well, that seems mean. Well, then don't break any part of his law. I mean, he says, here, just do this. You'll be fine. Jesus narrowed it down. He says, you guys are so thick and lumpy. I'm going to narrow it down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. I'll even narrow it down less than that. Just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because if you do that, 
you will love your neighbor as yourself. So I can get you down to one law. And I guarantee you before this day is over, every one of us will break it. Therefore, the curse of the law. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so if you're going to try and reconcile yourself to God through human effort, as soon as you decide you're going to do that, you put yourself under the curse. And it only takes one violation. So the human race, in essence, is absolutely, totally, completely, without lacking, without margin, and no, there is none, no, not one, that is not cursed. Every religion on the face of the earth is trying to achieve reconciliation to God. To a God or some God or something. They are trying to reconcile themselves by their own effort. And in just upon stepping into that, you are immediately cursed. And they are cursed has to be paid for. Which takes me to verse 13 of that text. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us. For it was written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Um, I, I read somebody and I forgot to write his name down. He took all of the fury of God's wrath on our behalf. And this quote that I have here, God placed Christ in the path of the curse, unquote. Every jot and tittle of curse that was to do each and every single one of us in this room, Christ paid in full. This exhausting judgment was charged to the account of Jesus Christ. He became sin by imputation. It was placed into his account. Our sins. It's, if you use the Colossians verse, we are clothed, okay, in his righteousness. But let's be realistic. It's not skin deep. <laughs> Right? Therefore, take the opposite of it, and he is clothed in our sin. Okay? But it isn't skin deep. He wore the robe of our transgressions, and upon putting it on, he gave us his robe of righteousness. Okay, now listen, I've been around a bunch of you for a long time. I know you're not as holy as Christ. Okay? Every one of us in this room have, uh, what do we call it, backslidden a bit. I call it uh, falling down head first, a flight of stairs that is 427 stories high. <laughs> and sometimes I do dink a dink a dink a dink <laughs> Okay, but I'm still clothed in his righteousness. Where's my blinky? <laughs> right? The same thing of him on the cross. He is sinless perfection even on the cross. He just gets imputed to his account. Yours and my sins. Christ dying on the cross did not become evil. I heard a preacher out of Texas say that, well, for the 
three days in the tomb, he went to hell and was tormented. That's another one of those that God has kept me separate from, so I do not have to. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. Okay, because them people there just need to be numb-chucked <laughs> or something. All right? That's No! Who runs hell? God does! Dude, I'm telling you, if you just get a grip on holy perfection, having to say, why have you forsaken me? I want you to think about a story. You know the man, Samson. Okay? And Samson had all these ideas on what was keeping him strong, right? And what it was, was the spirit of the living God. All right? And the spirit of the living God left him. He didn't know it. And the Philistines got him. Oh, is his hair cut off? Ain't got nothing to do with his hair. Go read it. The spirit left him. You know what the tragedy of that story is? He didn't know it. Jesus, the son of God, knew God had separated from him. And the guilt of the human race was upon him. And he knew it. Why have you forsaken me? He knew it. Samson wasn't bright enough to say, well, hey, man, I ain't strong no more. But Christ knew it. Christ knew that that holy, precious, loving, gracious communion that he had with the Father was severed. And it was severed because of yours and my sin were placed on him. And as soon as they clothed him in our sins... God had to turn his back. He cannot look upon sin. And when he looks upon you and I, he sees the cloak of Christ's righteousness. Even when we're knuckleheads, we're still holy knuckleheads. God puts the sin to Christ's account and he puts Christ's righteousness to our account. And listen, this drives me nuts. And you want to see me get my dander up. It is not because you're so good that God is satisfied. It is not that you, well, you know, he tried really hard. I better save that one. It don't work that way. The reason that you're clothed in Christ's righteousness is one reason and one reason only, and it ain't got nothing to do with you or I. The reason that you're clothed in Christ's righteousness is that Christ paid the penalty due you. And when you find yourself out wanting something from God... Ask yourself what he's already given you. There's nothing wrong with asking for your daily bread. There ain't nothing wrong with forgiving my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. There ain't nothing wrong with any of that. But there's times that you and I and our egos start thinking all of a sudden we are deserving of fill in the blank. And all I can think of is... There was a time when the Holy Son of God was separated from the Holy Father because of me. My deeds, my vile 
transgressions. My awfulness was clothed on the holy, perfect, innocent Son of God. And then His robe of righteousness was placed upon me. And I have the nerve to ask Him for what? I just want to stand around and go, wow. Wow. I don't know about you. I know what I'm capable of. I've been with me. And, and if you think your sin is big, was it? well, mine's not as big. I remember a lady one time told me, it's by his stripes I've been healed. He had to die for you. And I thought, really? <laughs> See ya. Okay, because my degree of sin is no greater than your degree of sin. We always talk about this. And go back and you look at it in Deuteronomy. We always talk about homosexuality is an abomination. Okay, you better read that text. Okay, because he's contrasting two sins that are both classified in God's eyes abomination. Okay, you know what the other one is? Lying. And I know none of us in this room have ever lied like I just did. <laughs> Okay, it's the same abomination. Sin is abomination. I don't care. You, it's just a little white. No, there ain't no little white. That little bitty sin. I mean, it's like Paul. I kept the law except for coveting. Coveting? Coveting. That's it? Coveting? Good Lord. I was coveting before I was two. I got my Ph.D. in coveting before I got out of kindergarten. Coveting. Yep, coveting condemned me. (laughs) Coveting? But you break any part of it, you're guilty. That whole thing. You ever been mad at somebody? That's murder. (laughs) No. Gee. Bunch of murdering, adulterous, coveting. <laughs> That's why it drives me crazy. I remember when my kids were wanting to get married. I want to get married. You want to be married to a murdering, coveting. <laughs> and they all look at me like, what? <laughs> That's what you're getting. <laughs> you know, two murdering, coveting, adulterous, stealing. Yeah, we'll be one. <laughs> he made... Sin, because God credits our sin unto him. That's what that means. I can now stand before a holy, righteous, sinless God because Jesus Christ became sin. Please understand, he did not become a sinner. It's impossible. That could be the greatest blasphemy you could ever commit. To even think that. And if you think that, don't say it around me because you're going to make me sin. And I'll blame you. (laughs) Well, I will. He's sinless perfection. And at that greatest moment of agony that he was on that cross, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, I cannot comprehend that myself because that is one thing I will never, ever, ever, ever have to experience. Because of his work on the cross, the communion of the saints with God can never, ever be broken. Because the saint is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Paul, writing the church in Colossae, said, 
The sins have been nailed to a cross. And it literally means the ledger due for this debt is paid in full. Paid in full. And I listen to what we do in the church and we have this ministry of reconciliation that God, the giver, gave the gift of Christ to reconcile you, to clothe you in Christ's righteousness and to take your sins, your guilt, your anguish and nail them to a cross never to be looked on again. And I listen to what we are supposedly sharing in the love of Jesus. And I'm like, ain't nobody dealing with this. And now listen, there's still a lot of sin in me. And I bet there's some in some of you. Even Peter, when he was looking at Jesus at his resurrection, says, be away from me. I am a sinner. I'm still a sinner, but I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God looks not on our human morality. Amen. Thank God. I love mercy. If he's looking at our moral deeds, we are in serious trouble. That ain't what he looks at. He looks at the bills on the cross. Jesus paid it. The righteousness of Christ has been, Romans tells me, put into my account. My moral account reflects the holy righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't care what I do. Now listen, it doesn't give you license to go out and sin. Because you got the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Holy Spirit will make you one miserable creature. But what I'm saying is, when you look at what he's done, it's going to be a humbling. How can you have pride? When I think because of me, God the Son was separated from God the Father. And I can be boastful about what? I ain't got nothing to brag about. Righteousness of Christ is in my account. I am covered by Christ. My sins covered Christ. Your sins covered Christ. Now you are covered by Christ. Taking our place. They call it substitutionary. What was due you, Christ took care of. There's a Roman story, a Roman story, sorry, a Russian story uh, about a king. A czar. And he ruled this great wealthy kingdom in, in Russia. And he noted that some of the gold and the precious stones were missing from the treasury. And um, it was troubling to him. Who would steal from the king? He's a very gracious king, a very honoring king. So who would steal these things? And they couldn't find anybody. So he set a trap. Night after night. Someone was hiding a uh, royal treasury and see who it was. And one night they caught him, red-handed, big old handful of sapphires. They lit the torch. Right in front of him was his aged mother. He had already made a decree. Anyone who would steal from the kingdom would be whipped 40 times. It's a royal decree. 
can't judge it. I mean, it's your mom. Can't judge it. She was old, very old. And he knew she gets hit by the whip 40 times, she's dead. She'll never survive it. But the royal law says, steal from the royal treasury, whipped 40 times. Tied to a post and whipped 40 times. And he says, thus says the king. They took her out, put her on the post, tied her hands up, ripped off the back of her shirt. The executioner came up with the bullwhip and prepared to give her 40 lashes. Just before he reached back to give the first lash, the king stepped forward and wrapped his body around his aged mother, and he took all 40 lashes. Now multiply that times infinity, and you can think about what Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us here. Okay? Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise, I thank you for this time. I thank you for putting our sin on your son's account. Father, I thank you that it is not by my human morality that I am saved. Thank you, Lord, that you have closed me in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that, Father, even in my humanity now, as I stumble through this life, and as many of us do, your forgiveness still covers us. And just as the Russian king covered his mother, probably times that Jesus steps between. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the finished work of Calvary. Thank you for the message of reconciliation. Thank you for the amazing things that you've already done. And Father, I pray for these people. I pray that they will have a greater anticipation of the amazing things you are yet to do. To your glory and praise, in Christ's name, amen.